Look, I'm really happy that um, you've agreed to speak to me because I've been pursuing Michelle Ballo in a roundabout, hey, Michelle, let's have a chat sometime away. And until I got your response back recently, I didn't realize that in this typical, you know, first language English speaker way, I didn't realize that he didn't speak English. And so it all made sense. And when I saw your documentary, The Explorer, pop up suddenly on my feed at Facebook, I thought, wow, here's a chance to find out what he's been up to. <laughs> so I can speak on his behalf. I, I was on the phone with him yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, he's just back from from another expedition in Cameroon. Wow! Uh, and yeah, he he splits his life be, be, between his uh, his home in the south of France <clears> and uh, and Cameroon, where where he uh, where he looks for Mokadembe. So uh, wow! It, it seems like the dream. I understand he's he's part of the local community he's married to um, a local lady is that right yeah well he i think he met his wife i don't think he met his wife in cameroon uh, i think they met in france but uh, yeah yeah he, his wife is uh, is cameroonian okay okay that's great now i have really fond memories of cameroonian people in the area in which i grew up in wales in south wales there were a bunch of cameroonian medical students living next door to us there was a, there was a house there that students often rented and they were just the best people. You know, we came to their parties, we ate their incredibly spicy food. We, you know, we just really enjoyed every single aspect of the culture. And it really gave me a love for that, that part of Africa. And then later, so late teenage year, when I got into cryptozoology, I heard about Mukali and Bembe, primarily from the Congo side. Yeah. But of course, that same rainforest also exists in or is also uh, part of it is in Cameroon so I'd really like to know today is how you came to be involved with this with Michelle and with this crazy rural pristine part of the world and and what you discovered while you were there yeah so I'm very fan of uh, of Cameroon and the Cameroonian and culture as well so I lived for uh, about three and a half years in uh, in Cameroon with my wife and my son um, and, uh, I, I moved to Cameroon for a job with, uh, with WWF that was back in 2014, something like that. And, uh, and, you know, I was covering the whole, uh, Congo basin. So you're totally right. Uh, all the rivers are interconnected, you know, in the same forest that's about half the size of Europe. And, um, and well, I spent lots of time with the, uh, with the pygmy uh, populations in the forest. Uh, we've been tracking elephants and gorillas and, uh, you know, doing some conservation work over there. And, uh, and well, the, the pygmies and the, the Bantu people would talk uh, to me sometimes. Uh, uh, imagine a campfire and, you know, mm-hmm. they, they share stories about that, uh, that incredible animal, Mokedembembe. And um, then, well, I, I actually moved to London <laughs> where, uh, uh, for work. And uh, and in the French library in London, I found the book of Michel, uh, mm-hmm. which is called uh, Sur la piste du Mokedembembe, so looking for tracking Mokedembembe. And, uh, and I found that story absolutely incredible. Uh, and the fact that a man can dedicate his life to searching uh, an unknown animal like this one. So I was like, well, I need to, to, to reach out to that person. I mean, we're talking about the same region. It's a place of the world, uh, part of the world I love. 
Uh, and then I sent him an email. We exchanged a couple of emails. And I told him, well, look, I'd love to join an expedition one day mm -hmm. with you. And he told me, well, I, I'm going in three weeks uh, to Cameroon. Uh, we're going to try to reach the Yankee waterfalls in the Yankee National Park. Just come along. So, okay. uh, <laughs> so I went. Simple as that. Yes. Simple as that. Now, I think this is this is part of the, the, the cryptozoologist's uh, mantra. Everything is right now. You know, everybody's ready to go right away. I'm the same. I'm a cryptozoologist. I'm a researcher. If tomorrow somebody said, okay, we're going to look for the Jabba for Fofi in the Congo, can you, can you, can you be here by next week? Like, yeah, I could be there tomorrow. I'm on my way. And that's, you know, that's a, a great thing about it. You know, the sense of adventure that everybody seems to still have. And there's the first thing that attracted me to it as well. Did you feel that you were taken in by this spirit of exploration when you were out there looking for Makili and Bimbi? So actually, the, on the first expedition, I went there because of a, yes, of a sense of adventure. I wanted, uh, I was looking for opportunities to go back to Cameroon and, uh, and you know, discovering that, that very pristine forest uh, was, uh, was incredible. But to be really honest, I didn't really believe uh, in Mokele Mbembe. You know, if you know Cameroonian culture, uh, the the border, I mean, the li um, limit between uh, myth and reality is very thin. And for lots of local people, you know, they they would talk about uh, geniuses of the forests and spirits, and uh, and so for me, Mokelembebe was uh, was part of that kind of uh, culture. But on that first expedition, it was incredible because at some point we found footprints, very large footprints wow. of an unknown animal, like 80 centimeters and 50. So very, uh, yeah, large footprints on an island and on the Jar River. And well, I started to believe that maybe there is something unknown living out there. Wow. Um, when you look at the Congo Basin, you know, we, we don't know half of what lives and dies every day in that forest. So uh, researchers find some uh, small uh, species, uh, fish or plants or everything. And I tend to believe that something bigger might exist out there. So that was the first expedition. And actually, I shot my movie during the second expedition. So mm -hmm. after, after that first expedition, I I mean, I just took pictures and a couple of years later, Michelle called me and told me one of my trackers has found a, a cave uh, really in a re very remote part of the forest. And maybe they say it's the den of the animal. Wow. And we need to, so I'm mounting an expedition. It's going to be very ambitious. So we will have about 20 people, trackers and, uh, and lots of, uh, lots of local people as well. Uh, do you want to join? And I said, yes. So I'm a filmmaker. Um, on the side of my job, I, I shot a couple of feature uh, documentaries uh -huh. and I said, Yes, I mean, but uh, I would like to do a movie about your uh, your research. And they told me yes, of, of course. Wow, now that to me, this is this is the dream opportunity. You know, the, the den has been found. But coming back to the footprints, what did these footprints look like? I mean, you saw these footprints yourself during yes. the expedition. Absolutely. Was it, uh, what was the the situation surrounding the finding of them? Were you alerted to them, or did did you just come across them while trying to track the animal in the jungle? So we do this kind of expeditions during the dry season. And so we take a dugout on the, on the, on the river, the Jai River. So 
when you look at the setting, uh, you take a boat, you go upstream, and you, at some point you, 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 you cross a village, which is called Endongo, and it's the last uh, human settlement uh-huh. uh, before the forest. And then it's only forest. And actually, local people tell you that they don't go upstream because they're afraid of Mokelembembe. Wow. And in the dry season, you see lots of islands uh, on the on the river and then sandy uh, sandy um, sandy islands. You know that appear only during yeah. the during the dry season. And at some point, we stopped on one of these islands. We 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 walked around the island to look for something and may, maybe some evidence. Some uh, and at some point, we found that series of footprints uh, that was coming out of the water and then going back uh, in the river. And so they they had like four fingers. Um, So, you know, lots of people have said that Mokelembembe might be a sauropod dinosaur Uh, or a a very big animal. Um, Actually, they were not that big and it's not like a sauropod footprint, but it's definitely a footprint of an animal that's unknown. And our trackers told us like, you know, that's a footprint uh, of Mokelembembe. And we're like, uh, really? They, and they, for them, you know, it's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's something that, uh, that is totally credible. And they completely, the way I hear about it from other people I've talked to, visited this area, is that people are very casual about it. The locals. I mean, it's <laughs> just, okay, that's a gorilla. That's an elephant. Oh, that's a Mokelembembe. In yeah. that type of setting. Now, Looking at those footprints, actually, that I, you know, my my first question would be: Well, are we looking at a, a more juvenile version of the species, or at least the animal that's been described as very large? Could this be a younger specimen? I mean, did that thought cross your mind, or was there some speculation as to the 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 difference in size? What would be normally expected from such an animal? Well, that's a possibility. So. Lots of people have said lots of things about about Mokelembembe. Um, when you know the first testimonies of Mokelembembe go back to the to the 18th century, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know the legend uh, built up, and some people said, "Well, it's a dinosaur. It's a very big animal." Now Michel thinks that it's an unknown species of animal, but it might be a giant, a monitor lizard. Or, or that kind of animal, but definitely not a dinosaur. Okay, so he's 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 not in the dinosaur camp himself. No. Okay, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. I suppose a giant volatilizid is, is more plausible according to the pervading paradigm of what we think has happened throughout history and what should and shouldn't be here. Um, but what confuses me is is these reports with the the long sort of serrated neck and long-tailed animal that the natives seem to, to draw them. I see from the, the wonderful um, bio that you sent me about the documentary, The Explorer, there's a lovely little painting or a sand drawing of one of the natives drawing the creature in the sand. And again, to me, that looks like a sauropod dinosaur. So how do you find, what are the differentiations between the types of representation that locals eyewitnesses even would, would give to you of the creature. Are they very varied or do they always seem to be the same type of animal? Yeah, I, it's what's amazing with that legend is that if you talk to a pygmy in Gabon, mm. 
and to a Bantu in uh, the east of the Democratic Republic of Congo. So from one side to another mm -hmm. of the Congo Basin, they will always draw the same animal. So a long neck, uh, a small, relatively small body, uh, and this, uh, this, uh, feet with, uh, with four, uh, claws. Um, now you look at some species of turtles that you find in Australia, for example, mm -hmm. that have a long neck. And if it's a new species of monitor lizard, maybe the neck has become a bit longer. Some local people tell you, well, lots of local people actually, they tell you that it eats some fruits uh, on the banks of the river. So maybe, you know, through evolution and history, the neck became longer so that that animal can reach uh, these fruits. Um, so, but yes, it's always the same, uh, the same representation. And what's really interesting as well is that when Michel conducts his research, he comes uh, with a with a with a with a book with uh, different pictures of uh, of animals. So he shows a, an elephant to the to the local people and say, "Well, that's an elephant," and then a gorilla. That's a gorilla. Then he shows a bear, uh, and you know, there's no uh, there are no bears in that part of Africa mm -hmm. uh, of the world. So they say they don't know. And then he shows a dinosaur, what we in our culture would defined as a dinosaur, but mm. a bit smaller. And they say, yeah, that's Mokelembembe. That's, I mean, that's really fascinating. Of course, I mean, one could speculate at this late hour, you know, 40, 50 years on from the original expeditions or the, the famous expeditions in the, the 70s, people have become familiar with explorers going in and, and the possibilities of what they're looking for. I always wanted to myself, are local people, it can be a form of tourism sometimes, right? You know, there's business coming through the village. Are people perhaps pre-prepared for what we want to hear and, you know, giving that back to us as a sighting? Oh, yeah, these are the guys from the expedition. They're going to come to the village. They'll bring some things. They'll buy some things. They'll hire some guides. They're looking for, a, you know, a sauropod. So that's what you should be telling them. Do you think that exists i mean it must exist in some way but is that a problem in your research or people genuinely quite um uh straightforward about what they, what it is they think they've seen that's an excellent question and it's always a problem uh well i would say that the farther you go the more genuine people are if you go to Mulundu, that's the port uh, on the on the river where you start expedition, people know about this research, that research. They have access to television or to the internet. Uh, so they will tell you stories and most of them are funny. But then when you go to the village of Endongo, which is about a boat, a day's uh, ride on the, on, the, on the river, and then you go Father, you meet some fishermen, you need some people who have no access to the internet. There's no phone over there, you have no network and everything. They really don't know what this sauropod dinosaur is. Uh, and they tell you stories about Mokelembembe, and then you tend to believe that, uh, that they have seen something. Okay, okay. That, that makes sense to me. What you mentioned here actually brings me to another point. Is the, um, again, we said the excitement of the, the, the spirit of exploration. But how is the reality of expeditions when you're out there in the river you've passed the last village you know you've got just the supplies that you have with you there's snakes and insects and crocodiles and hippos and whatever else is, is out there how what's the reality of that with a crew of 20 people 
uh, and and trying to to film you know something significant. What's the re- harsh reality of that type of um, that kind of film set? How does that work? Well, it's an extremely hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have lots of animals indeed. So, well, you're always afraid of snakes um, uh, because, well, you have green mambas, black mambas, different species of snakes. And there's a snake they call it uh, the snake three to one because it's like uh, it bites you and three to one and you're it's dead. Over. <laughs> you're dead. So I, I, I never identified that species, but uh, so we're afraid okay. of snakes. And there are lots of insects, obviously, there are mosquitoes, uh, and then the uh, tsetse fly, you know, that... Uh, okay, so you're borrowing fly, okay. A- exactly, mm. so it bites, it uh, itches, and uh, and for the three first days, I mean, you're really feeling, uh, feeling bad, uh, there's... the f- fever and malaria so you have lots of lots of disease you know that okay. you can get but at some point you're there and at the beginning it's yeah it's challenging it's physically challenging but then the nature that surrounds you it's beautiful and then you dive into uh into that kind of environment and you stop trying to wash yourself and the food, the food is terrible. I mean, there's, uh, there's almost nothing to eat. So you, you bring some dried foods, but you know, after, after okay. one or two weeks, you know, it becomes a bit difficult, but then you forget about it because you're, you're just, you emerge, mm. uh, yourself in, uh, in nature and it's, uh, it's totally different. Now for filming, uh, it's a bit challenging. So the, the, the Explorer is my second movie. The first one was uh, on the pygmies. Uh-huh. Uh, and we lived in a pygmy village for about a month. But we had access to a small shop where we could buy groceries and to an electric plug where we could charge the batteries. Yeah, okay. Now, when there you're you with Michelle yeah. on an expedition, mm-hmm. you can't charge your batteries. So I have I had basically eight batteries. <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, when you shoot a documentary... You oh, so you're to, choosing your shots. Is this exactly. worth you, battery you have to choose your shots. power? Is this the shot? Or, or Absolutely. No? Exactly. Wow. And when you shoot a documentary, it's, uh, it's different because normally when you shoot a documentary, you have to, 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 to film a lot, you know, to get the right mm-hmm. footage. But then you have to sh- choose your shots. So it's more like maybe shooting a fiction or yeah. you have to think twice before <laughs> uh, pressing on on, the, on your camera. So it's, it's, it's scripted, unscripted. You know, it's 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 half and half. I mean, the, the, in your mind, it's scripted, but you still have to catch those natural shots as they occur. Hopefully, with the camera on, enough battery power, and you know, the sensei fly has already burrowed its way out of your skin, and everything's back to normal. Right? <laughs> I mean, That's it, right. it, it sounds exciting and also terrifying. And um, you know, I just I, I always have this admiration because Africa. I don't know what it is for Europeans. But we have this, we still have this dreamlike fascination, especially for the interior, like that, those pristine places like the Congo. Anything could be there. It's the same feeling for the Amazon, in a way, though the Amazon is sort of more explored in one sense. Yes. But this area, you know, I just, the feeling that there could be something there has taken me since I was a young man, almost taken my objectivity in some cases because it's so exciting. What I'm interested to know is you were there, you went through the struggle, you're with Michelle, who's clearly a believer, a knower in the sense that the animal exists in some way, it's some form of animal. What, what did you come away with? What was your 
feeling on the possibility of its existence when you when you finish the documentary after the second expedition well um and you haven't seen the movie yet because no. it's about to be released <laughs> and uh, I, i send you the link obviously but on the second expedition so well i'm very proud of uh, of that film and when i started filming i had so many good scenes and uh, and good shots and uh, and everything and you know we we won many prizes in mm-hmm. uh, in different festivals so i i think that well we we did some good work but well i spent three weeks filming michelle in the forest and after two and a half weeks uh, i knew i had a good movie but there was something missing mm-hmm. is was like evidence or something about uh, Mokelembembe. Mm-hmm. We had testimonies, we had people talking to us, but, you know, it's just like secondhand um, witnesses. And actually, so we, we went up to the Yankee waterfalls and we started working in the forest for, a, for about 10 days. It was absolutely exhausting, physically speaking. And we got lost in the forest, not in the movie. And at some point, we found our way back to the river. So we were able to go back to the boat that would take us back home. And on our way back, uh, well, I won't spoil you the movie, but I'm uh, just telling you that we found something. Okay. And well, after the, that expedition, uh, I'm convinced that something uh, lives out there. Wow. Um, and actually, I would like to, to go back there if I have the opportunity to do so at mm-hmm. some point, you know, to, to really figure out what this thing is. But, uh, but yes, you're right. The Congo Basin, as compared to the Amazon, is unknown. Mm-hmm. You have no, no one, nobody. You have some poachers sometimes that it's better not to come across them. Uh, but it's, uh, it's completely wild and uncharted. And, uh, and there's a real possibility that that's something large uh, roams this area. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing to me, Alex. And, I, and I'm definitely looking forward to, to seeing, um, seeing the movie. I'm, I'm definitely going to get it. And I suggest everybody else who's listening or who's watching gets the movie. And the link will be in the description as well. Um, one of the things that's very interesting to me about this area, the Congo, Cameroon now as well, is the strife and the troubles that often engulf these countries. There must be, you mentioned the poachers, there must be dangers to going through the forest. What, what kind of guarantees? I see in, in the, 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 the biography here that you have, have guides and somebody that looks like a soldier or at least a local security. What kind of precautions do you have to take or what local guarantors do you have to have on your site to embark upon an expedition like this? So there are two kinds of, two kinds of dangers, mm-hmm. uh, the natural dangers, I would say, and the human danger. And the human danger is the poachers. So uh, there you have forest elephants and forest elephants, they have a, their tusks are made of a, of a very specific kind of ivory. It's uh-huh. called pink ivory and it's very sought, sought after by poachers. Mm-hmm. So they have war weapons. And if you come across poachers, uh, well, they might kill you okay. simply because if you witness their activities and everything, it's there's no, it's like piracy, you know. Okay. Uh, fortunately, we didn't come across any poacher physically, but well, you've seen the film, we, well, at, at the moment we heard, heard gunshots and saw a dead elephant and, uh, and, uh, and it was a bit, uh, it was a bit challenging. And then you have, 
the natural dangers and the most dangerous animal in uh, in that forest is the elephants. The forest mm-hmm. elephants are, are smaller, a bit smaller than the savanna elephants, but they are much more aggressive. Uh-huh. So if an elephant runs after you, there's big chances it's going to kill you. So I've, you have to run faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, well, if you see a gorilla, because there are lots of uh-huh. gorillas in that, in that forest as well, you have to put your eyes down so that you tell the gorilla mm-hmm. that you're on his territory and he will let you go. Wow. Okay, because of course, I mean, gorillas as uh, placid and as peaceful as they seem, they can pull you pull you apart. They can pull your arms off without any any real difficulty. And I'm sure that people must have um, must have been fatally wounded in such attacks in the past in certain areas of Africa, even with an animal like a gorilla. What about crocodiles and and hippos and things like that? Does that area have? Uh, have uh, an issue with crocodiles and hippos. I, I heard from some researchers that the areas in which the Kalei Mbembe inhabit seem to be free of hippos. Exactly. And, and other there are no hippos. No hippos. Uh, there are crocodiles, uh-huh. uh, Nile crocodiles, which are quite large, but uh, but no hippos. And, uh, and, well, when we show the footprints that we found at a, during the first expedition to some uh, Researcher, so Michel works with the uh, uh, French uh, National History um, Museum, mm-hmm. uh, Natural History Museum. Sorry, uh, th- they look and they say, well, it could be hippos, maybe you know, uh, with water on it and everything, but there are absolutely no hippos in the in the area. So, uh, wow. so yes, you you just have crocodiles. And coming back to your question, so there's an armed guard with you. So uh, yes. before going to the forest, you have to stop uh, to, to meet the local uh, mayor of the town who's responsible for the area. And, uh, and yeah, during that expedition, he, he, he told uh, one of a gendarme, you know, a kind of cop, you know, mm. with, a, with a gun to come with us for our safety. Okay. Both for natural dangers and human dangers. We never know, you know, hopefully he never used his weapon, uh, which is a good and thing. It, and clearly that didn't happen to you, which was a good thing. Uh, while you were there, um, guaranteed, Alex, if it was me, yes, the poachers, everything would have happened. Um, that's <laughs> the way my life works. Uh, you have to come on, a, on the next expedition, but I'll would, do a film as well. <laughs> now that you know this, do you really want to take me? Um, sure. I, I think it's, you know, it's fascinating. I, I have nothing but admiration and respect for people who go into that environment. Now, now I know the concept that we have uh, sometimes of, of Africa is is not exactly correct. Yes, this area is rural, it's pristine, but it's the 21st century at the same time. You know, So of course, there's a greater world understanding among people, even in a far out village, that there's people, you're never gonna meet somebody who's never seen a white person, for example. You know, this is, this is even these areas are aware of the wider world, but I'm just wondering what kind of cultural sensitivities you have to you have to be aware of. You said you met the Bantu and the Pygmies, and are, are these people very used to European explorers now, or are there still a few cultural faux pas that you have to you know, be aware of before you embark on such an expedition? Yeah, well. You know, Africa is very big. It's a it's a huge continent. If you go to Abidjan or Nairobi, it's like New York. You know, you have buildings. Now, if you go to some more remote parts, uh, time has stopped. You have no network. Um, you basically you have no rescue services. So if something happens to you in the forest, 
Okay. Well, you Bad. you're in trouble. Uh, even if you break your leg, I mean something as simple as that. You know, uh, you, people have to carry you to the boat. But when you're like ten days away from the boat, you know, it's uh, it can be it can be a bit complex. Now, in terms of cultural uh, sensitivities, I think the most important thing is that you have to respect the culture of the people. Mm. Um, the pygmies or the Bantus or uh, or the Bakwele people who live in that area as well, they will tell you things that uh, can seem a bit surprising that might make you laugh, you know, and uh, yeah. uh, because it's, uh, it's for, for Westerners, it's a bit crazy, you know, <laughs> but, uh, um, and in the movie, you see a couple of situations like that where they're telling us something as if it was the truth. It's not, but it's for them, the truth for them. And that you have to respect that because they genuinely believe uh, in that. Um, I remember my first documentary on the, on the pygmies. Uh, they told us that a, a spirit was living in the forest. It's called Jengi, the spirit of the uh -huh. forest. And they were like, okay, at the end of the, of the shooting, if you're very nice, you know, we can call Jengi. He can come and see you. And, uh, and uh, we're like, of course, we'd be interested to, to see Jengi. And so we waited, we're patient, and then at some point we were adopted by the community. And then one night they told us, like, okay, we're ready to call Jengi for you, so please go there uh, at the edge of the forest, sit there, wait, and you'll see Jengi. And basically we saw, like, three guys, you know, with a, with a kind of uh, dress made of, uh, of plants and, uh, and some okay. kind of roof on the head, dancing and jumping around and everything. But, uh, and we were like, but... These are people from the village, you know, who are dressed as some Did you forest. Say that? Yeah. Okay. You know, and they were like, uh, no, that's and they really were, no, offensive. It's Jengi. This is Jengi. This is Jengi. Okay. And we're like, sure, I mean, it's Jengi, you know, and then you have to forget about your préjugé uh, mm -hmm. and your, the ideas that you have as a Westerner. Of You're course. entering a new culture. Yeah. Uh, you have to adapt and you have to believe in what they say. It perhaps was part of this ceremony, uh, you know, a, a spiritual embodiment of the spirit. So the spirit is, has taken these dancers in their mind, at least in their perception. The Jengi has appeared through the dancers performing the ritual of Jengi, so to speak. I, I was reminded recently of uh, some of the fake Yeti scalps in the Nepal monastery. Yes. And although, and one of, one of them specifically has a very... Uh, an admitted fake. They say it's yeah. a fake that they constructed it, but that it is still a Yeti scalp because it's spiritually the embodiment of the Yeti and representative of it for the monastery. So it is real, even though it is fake. And studying different, perhaps say archaic for one of a better word, cultures or um, uh, animistic cultures around the world, there is often this, as you say, this crossover between the real and the spiritual. You know, the gorilla can be a spirit, so can the Yeti, so can the Mokili and Bembi, but they can also be an animal. In the same way as in certain embodiments, as in ritual dances of, of a god, can be the god. And is that the truth we're looking at, or do you believe that they were just trying to sort of impress you? No. On, I mean, 
at that moment with the pygmies, no, they were not because they waited for so long to okay. show us Chengi. So for them, it was a god. It was an embodiment uh -huh. of the god, as you okay. said, you know, like, uh, and it's a good comparison with the, with the Yeti scalps and the mm. other things that we as Westerners, you know, think don't believe in, you know, or, okay. or if we think as scientists or as naturalists, you know, we, we say, well, you know, let's do a DNA test to see if it's a Yeti scalp or everything. But mm -hmm. if people believe that it is a Yeti scalp, yeah. why not? We have our own beliefs as well uh, in Western cultures. Mm. Um, so so why not respecting other people's cultures, you know? For, and for, for, sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, no. I mean, for me, well, they told me it was, it's Jengi, it's Jengi. That's fine, you know. It's, uh, mm. um, yeah, I totally respect that. Same here, really. And I think for me, it's it's again, it's about perception. It's really about yes. perception, and and even acknowledging sometimes that some cultures have often have a catch-all word for big animals as well. The catch-all word can mean again, like yeti, it can mean something like a, a spiritual animal or creature. It can mean a bear. It can mean you know this ape-like creature that supposedly inhabits uh, the, the the forest and the, the snow line, and it's, they're all yeti. But yeah. you have to know the culture to know how to distinguish between which is Yeti and which is Yeti and so on and so forth. And I would imagine it's it's the same thing spiritually, you know, that, OK, this is how we uh, in the same way as our priest gives you the sacraments. When you go to, to mass, he gives you the bread and the wine and that's the blood and the body of Christ. But it's not, is it? If we told him that it's actually wine and a little piece of hard bread. Yes. So, <laughs> but yet we wouldn't. But if we're believers, even doubt that for a moment, this becomes the blood and the body and everything else. And that's our jengi, I suppose. In a way. Exactly. I think so. And what's interesting is that, uh, because, well, these cultural beliefs are a challenge mm -hmm. when you look for an animal of fresh and blood mm -hmm. like Mokelembembe. You know, because you don't know if they're going to draw something. It's a god, you know, but they tell you it's real and, mm. uh, and it can be a bit challenging. Um, and talking to Michel for a long time, he started, I mean, he started to believe that, uh, that, you know, maybe Mokelembebe was just a, maybe an invention or uh -huh. a, a relig religious item. But uh, then they talk about the elephant. For them, the elephant is a god as well. Uh, they okay. say that uh, the elephant has a spirit that's in between the man and the uh, animal, and that the, 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 the spirit uh, of the elephant mm -hmm. navigates between the two. It's not really an animal, but it's an elephant. We know elephants exist. Okay. So when they talk about mystical, the mystical things that surround uh, Mokelembembe, uh, well, it doesn't mean that because they see it as a mystical animal, sometimes it's, it is a mystical animal. It's not a real animal. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. If we're, and that's difficult for us, you know, if it sits in between the corporeal and the spiritual equally, yeah. and that applies to other animals, then there's your proof that they're treating this animal in the same way. Of course, yes. there's always that kernel of doubt, and that's why we're there looking, I suppose. Um, talking about the, the documentary now, um, people obviously, hopefully, will 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 log on and will will have a look at that. And I I'm definitely very excited to see it. Is there is there something in it that, as you said, you 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 had an encounter on the way back that you don't want to reveal? But is there something within this documentary that would that would take you back to the area to film another one or to capture you know further evidence 
of the creature or, or its possible existence. Is that something we might see in the film? Yes, of course, of course, because there are two ways of searching for that animal. Uh -huh. If you take a scientific approach, uh, you will look for evidence, for strong evidence of uh, finding that animal. And, well, you'll see the documentary, but that scientific approach was kind of successful. Okay. Uh, and that's, you know, I've seen lots of cryptozoology movie before, mm -hmm. but, you know, they struggle in finding something and try to put something together. Yeah. Everything you see in the documentary is genuine, you know, so, uh, so, so, so. That was kind of successful, and I'd love to go back to the area to really see the animal. And there's, then there's the other research, which is a, a more human research, talking to the elders of mm -hmm. the village and talking to people who believe things and trying to see where the truth, where's the myth. And there's definitely an interesting film to make uh, if you investigate further in that area that we're just uh, uh, talking about, because people have lots of stories to tell. And, um, yeah. and once you accepted, uh, well, it was uh, when I shot the documentary, it was my second journey to that area, you know, and then you start to being accepted. They stop seeing you as a, as a French person or, or say Westerner, mm -hmm. that, uh, and they start sharing things with you. They will never share anything because you're not initiated. So you, uh -huh. you have to go through a, a certain number of rituals. And you, you can, if you're not a local, you, you can undertake these rituals. But they will share more and more, and it becomes more and more interesting and vast and complex. So probably what I would like to explore more in that area rather than the forest is the human style of the people, because it's, uh, it's fascinating. It, it really does sound fascinating. And I think it's, you know, it's really important to, for everybody in the world to, to get a, a, a view into somebody else's mindset, into the mindset of a different group of people. Not different like aliens, but everybody's a human being and we all have the same things in common to a certain point. But when people are cut off and they build up a sort of a, a very distinct culture in one finite area, there's always loads of wonderful, interesting things to learn about that. You know? Absolutely. And, and look at us even, you know, the difference between England and Switzerland or England and France or it, we are neighbors. And yet the difference between those two peoples is vast, yes. you know, so it just really goes to show what, what can happen in, in a very small area. Uh, just before we um, wrap up, I want you to, to tell people, give them some advice for some of these junior filmmakers, people who want to go on expeditions like this. What, what do you need to do this? What, what kind of prep should they do to be in the right place to, to successfully film a documentary like this? Well, you need uh, a bit of, uh, I would say, spirit of adventure. You need mm -hmm. to be extremely open-minded and you, you need to, well, it's going to be very hard to uh, get money or get a, a pre-broadcasting deal with any television channel if you're shooting a, a movie about a cryptozoology mm -hmm. uh, because, well, if you want to make really something, a good movie, you know, not something pre-formatted uh, uh, that is for a TV. If you want to make something a bit different, uh, well, you you will struggle uh, finding money. We we had a 
hopefully we found a, a small producing a production company in France who, who gave us a bit of a starting money uh, to put every a bit on my pocket. But then the reward comes after because if you bring a good movie, and this mm. is what happened uh, with the Explorer, you start being selected for festivals and yeah. then winning some awards, and we we won many awards, and then the notoriety notoriety of the of the movie starts building up and. You, you know, you can get um, uh, a bit of your money back or you, well, but if you want to do a classic movie and to go in these areas, you, you will never succeed. So you have to have the courage to say, okay, taking my camera, I'm going mm -hmm. there with a camera, with an open mind, and then let's see what comes up. So it's unlikely, essentially, somebody's going to pay you to do it. You've got to make the, the product first and then the selling comes afterwards, you know, hopefully as well, I suppose. And, and to have that, uh, that, um, that spirit of adventure to, to, to get in and do that. Now, uh, you know, I think that there's so many places in the world that, that are just desperately crying out for this type of exploration you know, for this type of, uh, forensic, um, uh, introspective view on, on the, on the creatures so some of the unknown animals that could still exist there do you have any any bucket list um locations in mind for other parts of the world or even other parts of africa that you'd like to visit yeah well so so i'd love to go back to uh, the congo basin Mm -hmm. And uh, to look for uh, for Mokele Mbembe with uh, with uh, with Michelle, uh, uh, we have some ideas for a, for another expedition, maybe more ambitious, and would like to kayak down the river. Uh, wow. Because the problem is that when we go upstream uh, with our dug dugout with a with an engine, you know, in the back, we, we're making lots of noise, so okay. it's uh, it's hard to spot something. So we'd like to kayak down the river to see what's uh, on the uh, on the banks of the river, um, and then the, there's a place uh, well closer to us, which is uh, the Russian uh, Caucasus, uh, where mm. there are lots of testimonies yes. of a local Yeti called the um, Almasti. Uh -huh. And there's a French explorer who has been uh, searching for that animal for a, for a, for a long time. Uh, who has oh, yes. Um, what, what is his name? Jean-Louis Moret. That's right. That's right. He has that great cowboy get-up. Yes, exactly. Yes, I'm a, I'm a fan of his. Yes, I, well, I'm, an, I'm a, f a fan of the now the deceased Marie-Jean Kaufman. Yes, Marie-Jean Kaufman, um, who searched for the yes. Almasti for oh, wow. uh, mm. all her life. And she died when she yeah. was a, a hundred and something years old. A hundred and two years old, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there is some hard evidence that something lives out there. So obviously the political mm. situation is not, uh, is not easy, but I would love to go to that region and uh, and to search for another oh, mystical yeah. uh being you know in a in a completely different setting that that uh, yes take me with you i'll come <laughs> <And it's laughs> i will no problem oh, yes. thank you but what, I mean, right. that's the one marijin government and uh again she really captured my imagination with this spirit a woman at that time going there and also as a russian speaker and these really rural traditional type of cultures and getting such information another person i think somebody who was killed or didn't know very well I yes think he was, he was murdered under a cloud jordi magrina exactly also did in some pakistan in pakistan in the, the kalash mountains uh, yeah. mm. he was looking for uh, the barmanu with the kalash people yeah yes yeah. and it seems to be more or less the same creature 
you know, well, at least descriptively, you know, to some degree. And, um, you know, I don't know what this, there was some sort of um, rumors ar around this man, but whatever happened to him, I'm sorry for that. But the information that he also gathered from those people was, was invaluable. And I think that's, at least for the wild man, that's the best Absolutely. Uh, locale. Those are the two best locales that we possibly have. The safer one being the Caucasus, uh, other than the borders of Afghanistan, perhaps. But um, yes, you know. Yeah. But um, so, sorry, go ahead. Just on that, you know, um, now that, well, my documentary was quite successful. You know, I have some uh, now producers are working and asking me, you know, sometimes, oh, so what's the next story, you know? Oh. And really what I would love is to find something I would bring tangible proof of one of these uh, uh, mystical creatures existence mm -hmm. because well we live in a world where uh, adventure is codified you know it's mm -hmm. uh, you have to be a, a sports person and go in the wild and you know we have we have lots of these adventurers yeah. you know or but what about the dreamers what about yeah people who just go out there, you know, with a, with a backpack and start looking for some, uh, something. So if we find something, it would be the best way to send a message to the world that adventure is not dead and there are still some things to, to be discovered on our planet. Perfect. I think that's, that's, that's really wonderful. Um, there's a line in, in one of my books. The opening line is, the age of exploration is not dead. We just lost interest. Yes. And that's, you know, I think... People are getting that interest back again, you know, especially since all of the lockdowns and things, people are looking to out and saying, where could I go? What could I be doing with my life? You know? um, I, I'll wrap it up there, Alex, but just to, just let everybody know, there'll be uh, links in the description as well, but let everybody know when the movie is going to be available, where they can get it and, um, and how they can support you. Yes, so the movie is going to be released on the 31st of March next week. Um, it's going to be released on uh, Vimeo, uh, and there's going to be a link posted on uh, the movie's uh, uh, Facebook page. So it's uh, facebook.com slash the explorer film. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and the, the, the link is going to be posted and shared in many cryptozoology uh, groups and uh, all the festivals are going to, are going to share it as well. So mm -hmm. it's, it's easy or just lo look it up on Vimeo. It's, uh, it's called the explorer. And uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's on the thirty first of March, and I really hope that uh, that the, the film finds uh, its audience. Um, we have a very active community of followers on Facebook, and lots of people who are eagerly waiting for the release of the movie. It took us like three years because we the movie was in that festival run uh, oh, yes. that was yeah. stopped mm -hmm. at some point because mm -hmm. of COVID. Uh, so we had to delay the release of the film, but uh, but now yeah, it's uh, we're about to release it, and it's super exciting. Well, I, I can't wait. And I'm definitely, I'm going to be first in the queue to press play when that movie starts. Alex, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, Andy. It was a real pleasure. You too. Bye-bye.